Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. How's life for you at the moment? How many plates are you spinning? How much stress are you holding? How much are you desperately trying to just gain a little bit of control right now? I know for me, and on so many of you, that is absolutely the life we're living. And I just want to encourage us today and challenge us a little bit through what James is saying in the passage that we've read, where he offers, I believe, a bit of a solution to a lot of those problems. He offers us an invitation to a new way of living, of a transformed life, a free life. Now, the great truth of Christianity, as we know, is it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what your background is, you are still precious in God's sight. And through faith, you are saved. And James is writing to a people who are so well aware of that. He's likely writing to Jewish Christians and they've been rooted traditionally in that belief that following the law to the letter was what would bring about and contain and retain that connection with God and his covenant and his good and perfect plan. And they've discovered, as we so many of us have, that through Jesus, that it was faith that saved them. Faith alone that brought them into wholeness, into shalom, into completeness, into that connection with God. But they'd forgotten that actually that encounter with Jesus should actually change something and begin to transform who you are. Because in the same way that St Paul wrote in his letters uh, to people who were busy trying to re-establish the law and reminded them that actually they were saved by faith. James is reminding his audience that despite being saved by faith, it should actually lead to some renewed action, to a new way of living. Salvation through faith brings about transformation. And I believe it's this transformed life that we long for, that free life, free of the world's burdens but if faith isn't changing you and I find this so much in my walk every day if you're not living a new way if you're still trapped by those burdens you're not being transformed then James is suggesting but maybe he knows why he's challenging you and I that maybe just maybe some part of our life we're still holding on to the world and its wisdom because this is an invitation of Jesus an invitation to freedom as we let go of the world let go of the world's wisdom let go of what success looks like what it of needing to uh, get for yourself of let go of having to be in control Let go of spinning the plates and having to be the one who everything relies on. You're invited into a new way of living, one that is judged on a whole different scale of wisdom. 
One where the losers are winners and the winners are losers. God is inviting you into a story written by him. One where it doesn't all depend on us or what status we have or who we are or what we win. So three areas of challenge from uh, this passage today and then a solution. Good news. Uh, Number one, envy and comparison. Now, the world is full of comparison, isn't it? This week, as I was trying to prepare this talk, I was part of trying to homeschool three kids under eight years old, which, I mean, as you can imagine, causes absolutely no stress, no difficulty at all. Yeah, right. Now, I joined one of the kids on their lunchtime Zoom catch up with their classmates uh, in the week. And uh, last week, you see, there was a project that they did. And this week, they were all doing the kind of show and tell, uh, showing the teacher whatever it was they'd written or drawn or baked or painted or made. And uh, the teacher would go round to each kid and, and ask them to show individually what they'd done. And one, she went to one and she said, oh, what have you, what have you made? And the, and the kid goes, oh, I've, I've, done a, I've got a toilet roll. And then there was this pause. And then she said, ah, oh, and it depicts a Stone Age monument. Depicts. Depicts. She's seven years old. And then you hear it. In the background, the whispers of the voice of a parent who's egging them on to show just how much work they had put in. It's not just a toilet roll, it depicts the Stonehenge. Or should I say how much work the parent, and I feel this pain, had had to put in to get that work done. It's that stress of comparison, isn't it? A stress of how is my child doing versus others? How is my family coping pretty badly with homeschooling versus others? It was what's leading parents to pit one child against another through the medium of toilet rolls. Now, it's been hard Don't get me wrong, but comparison, which leads to envy, which James tells us leads to quarrels and fights. Doesn't help, does it? You see, we're being invited to live under a rule of life that draws us not towards judgment, but to compassion. Not towards envy and comparison, but towards sincerity. Letting go of comparison with the world and living instead by God's wisdom. Number two is status. You desire but do not have, is verse two, so you kill. Now, of course, there's debate, as in all theology, over whether, like, what this means, whether James is over-egging it, or maybe there was actual killing going on in the church over divisions and jostling for status about who's the wisest. Now, it looks to me, having read some of the history, like there may well have been killing going on in the church because of the nature of the time and the context. And that doesn't go on now, does it? Great. Oh, and I've never seen anybody murdered over the position of a coffee stand or, uh, you know, who's going to lead the next alpha course, although some of those have come close. I mean, I like I joke. But the truth is, and what James is trying to get out, whether killing actually happened or not, and whether it happens now or not, 
is that when we follow our own desires, it doesn't end well for the community. For those around us, when we're pursuing our own desires, because we love to win, you see. I mean, that's true, isn't it? We love to be the seen to be the one who's right. And while not killing, it can be just as much at the expense of others. So often our desire for status. Now, Jeff Bezos, who you will know, uh, he's the owner of Amazon, very famously. And I'm not holding him up on a pedestal uh, or, you know, he is just another man. But he is the second wealthiest man in the world and a huge success with great status by any worldly standard. And this week he said uh, it was quoted in an article that now he's in a position to reflect on his life and the kind of many ups and also many downs and mistakes. He had a number of thoughts and one of them was this, that in the end we are our choices. He said this, will you be clever at the expense of others or will you be kind? Will you be clever at the expense of others or will you be kind? Because there is a great truth there, isn't there? The easy way to gain status is to put others below you, to put people down, to build ourselves up. And we see it particularly online right now, don't we? For some reason, when we're down, when we're struggling, when we're finding things difficult, when we're in lockdown... So many of us find the way to make ourselves feel better is to bring somebody else down, to post harsh comments online, to tweet about a personal celebrity in the news. I was really interested to read this from the health, mental health writer Matt Haig this week. He wrote, we need a massive cultural change. We need a revolution of kindness. He said, there are too many bullies and online trolls impacting lives. We need a bit more humanity, fewer glass houses, fewer stones, less judgment, more heart. We need an end to bullying and trolling. What causes, verse one, fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you. James knows that it's the focus of our hearts that causes the outcome. That our desire to build ourselves up that so often ends up putting others down and causing us, if not to kill, then to wound. Matt Haig, he's right. We need a revolution of kindness. Now, Jesus, you see, invites us here into a life that is marked not by status, but by humility. Verse six, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Jesus, we know, came to serve, not be served. And we're invited into that same kingdom life building others up number three success and winning when you ask you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives this week the country has 
stood on its doorstep. It's clapped, it's mourned, it's shed a tear for a hundred-year-old guy from Bedfordshire, Captain Sir Tom Moore. Hundred years old, and he'd done twice in his life some pretty significant things with the motive of serving other people. The win for him was not his success, but the success of others. He had fought selflessly in the Second World War. And then at 99 years old, he walked round his garden for an organisation that's, if we're completely honest, he wasn't planning to need for that much longer. He was doing it for others. Success for Tom looked like offering his life so that others can have theirs. Offering his time so that others, through medical treatment, could have more time. He was doing it for others. Now, he's not the only person that's done great things. So why did we celebrate him so much as a country? Why was he singled out? I just wonder if we saw maybe there something that we liked, something that inspired us, a success that was based on giving, that bore good fruit. Back in this passage, we read about double-minded people. He says, you double-minded people. We say one thing so often and we do another. We want to give, yet we're also asking what we will receive. Captain Tom, while I'm sure not perfect, did something only for others. He didn't need the money nor the fame that came with it. I mean, what would he do with it at 100 years old? He was only doing it for others. Now, as a country, I just wonder if we saw something that was more attractive than any of the usual self-seeking publicists that often appear in our social media feeds. Jesus, too, invites us into that sort of life, that sort of kingdom, that sort of world where success doesn't look like winning, but like others winning. Where success doesn't look like us getting, but like others getting. Envy, comparison, success, status. If we're completely honest, there's so much of what motivates us in life. I know it myself, if I drop the ball, then I failed. If we screw up the homeschooling, then we're worse than other parents. If we spend ourselves our time on something for other people, then we lose our place in the queue. If we build someone else up, they get the promotion and not us. Whatever it is, our trouble is so often caused by our motives. But here's the encouragement. James is highlighting an issue that's true to all of us. And offering us God's perspective on it here. And it's this. Grace. 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 Not just grace. But in verse six, more grace. Always more over and over. We also read here. He jealously longs for the spirit he has placed within us. 
God has given us our spirit, our free will, our life. He's given us the ability to choose, to desire. That's come from God. And while he lets us direct those desires, he is jealous for us. He wants our desire to be towards him. And he's got for us this great life. But he wants it to be only for him. He wants to bring around transformation through us. He wants freedom for us from the burdens and pressures of the world. But we can't be double-minded and be both of the world and desiring the world and desiring the things of God. We've got to lay down the world and pick up Jesus. But here is the grace. Here is the grace. He knows we will never get it right on our own. We will always end up in fights and troubles and stress and envy and comparison and all of that. But here, as I've said in verse six, he gives us more grace. Every time we fail, he offers us grace. And in verse seven, an invitation. Submit yourselves then to God. I mean, it's not a very modern idea, is it? Not very trendy. <laughs> but it's, it might help just to look at a bit of the context of it. We need to know what it actually means to submit. In the Greek, the word written here, so it's the original language that this letter would have been written in. The word written here in English as submit is actually one that means this. To get yourself in order under. So to line your life up under the plan of someone else. Of, in this case, God. A place where it doesn't all rely on us. Because you see, he'll help us if we let him. If we're tied to Jesus tied to his direction we're yoked to him as the bible says the burden becomes easy if we're running the race set for us and not the one set by the world then we're winning even if the world thinks we're losing because you see jesus lost he was crucified the world went we've won but actually that couldn't have been further from the truth because in that moment of seeming loss, Jesus won. He defeated sin, death and all of these powers of the world. It's the mystery and victory of the kingdom life that we're invited into. Now, as I said earlier, the homeschooling has been a nightmare. <laughs> it's led to stress, comparison, envy, quarrels, all of it. Especially when you look online and see how well others are doing, and the pressure piles on. Then we got this letter this week from the head teacher. She said this, she said, I've heard from so many of you, and the difficulty that this is placing on you and your families. And like, we read that and went, oh wow, it's like, not, <laughs> it's not just us. All these things we see online, it's not, 
like they're not doing better than us. They're just posting nice pictures. Other people are struggling too. And the head teacher went on to say this. She said, take a break. Have a screen free day. Don't pile on the pressure. The kids will catch up. Because you see, she's able to look from the perspective of someone who knows what is coming. What she plans to do when the kids are finally allowed back, how she will help them catch up. How she'll set them on a solid ground for the future. The teachers know it will all work out, even when it all feels like it's crumbling. And the good news of Jesus is the same. It's that we have a hope. We know it will all work out. That in the end, the things of this world are like sinking sand. And the rock that will last is built on a foundation of one who has defeated death. Built on Jesus. So we'll probably have a screen-free day because of the reassurance of that head teacher. And because of the reassurance of our hope and faith and trust in Jesus, it's worth us having a world break. Leaving behind the worldly wisdom. Every day trusting a little bit more in Jesus. Comparison. The need to win. The need to get your own way. All of that stands in the way of what God is what calling you to. The life he wants you to live. And the answer is, as we read here, to submit. To get our lives in order. To line things up. Under God's plan. We read... Towards the end of the passage here, verse 10 of chapter 4. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Receive that invitation to get your life in order. But according to a rule of life that brings joy. That brings not envy, but peace. That brings not worldly success, but eternal hope. That brings not comparison, but life. It changes the world for good.